Hello and welcome to Adaptation, the podcast for in-depth discussion on books and their film adaptations. This is our very first podcast for December 17th, 2011, where we will discuss Brian Selznick's The Invention of Hugo Cabret. I am your host, Kendall Bryant, joined by my lovely friend and roommate, Jessica Dick. Hi, Kendall. (laughs) Um, Just a little bit about, since this is our first episode, um, about this podcast. The kind of premise of it is that we're going to do an episode after having read a book that's currently being made into a film, and we're going to discuss the book on its own and then discuss our expectations for the movie. And then after seeing the movie, we're going to release another episode where we discuss that um, that on its own and have a comparison discussion on both the book and the film. So, um, a little bit about us. Jessica, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm originally from Michigan, though I'm currently studying in London at Kingston University for my master's in publishing. I, I'm a huge book lover. Um, I love the classics, but you can also catch me in, with pretty much any kid's book or young adult book that's hot on the market, Or and I tend to become obsessive about certain things. Um, my recent obsession is The Hunger Games, so I will be avidly listening to Kendall's podcast when she covers The Hunger Games. <laughs> Maybe you'll be on it. Who knows? <laughs> I can only hope. Um... It's amazing how much Jessica and I's uh, (laughs) repertoires overlap. I'm from Michigan as well. We're both studying masters in publishing at Kingston University. Um, I absolutely adore young adult fiction and am a huge nerd. I love Harry Potter and The Hunger Games just like Jess and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Doctor Who and other nerdy things that you can think of. Um, Just pretty much huge nerd and very proud of it. So, it's a good time. Do not be ashamed. No. No. <laughs> That's what we learn in publishing <laughs> master classes. Like, just don't be ashamed of your nerdiness, really. Nope. Everyone is one. Um, so, shall we move on to this fabulous book? Yes. Um, the Invention of Hugo Cabret was written by Brian Selznick, and it was published in 2007. Uh, the film is currently in theaters. In the U.S., it's been out for, like almost a month. It came out November 23rd. And in the UK, where we are, it is um, out as well. It's been out for less time. It came out the uh, 2nd of December. Um, So, uh, the setting is in 1931 Paris, and I just want to um, kind of summarize it before we um, have our discussion. Attention, there will be spoilers. Oh, yes. I probably should have mentioned that. But kind of the premise of this podcast is spoilery, so should definitely know that. <laughs> um, okay, so um, just for a brief summary. Hugo Cabret is a 12-year-old boy with a secret. After the death of his father and the disappearance of his uncle, he carries on living in the Paris train station, fixing the station clocks that used to be under his uncle's care and attempting to fix the, an automaton that his father found in the attic of the museum where he worked. In order to get the parts he needs to carry on his father's work, he steals mechanical toys from a booth in the station. When he gets caught by the old man that owns the booth, the man takes Hugo's notebook full of drawings by his father about the inner workings of the automaton. In order to earn it back, the man makes Hugo work at the booth with him. The the man's goddaughter, Isabel, also promises Hugo that she will try and get the notebook back for him. 
Hugo begins to work on the automaton without the help of his father's goats. While working at the toy booth, Hugo sees the old man, Papa George, doing card tricks and becomes interested in learning them himself as he remembers his father saying that many clockmakers turned into magicians because of their quick hands and dexterity. Magic becomes his new hobby as he's come to a standstill with the automaton, needing a key to make it work. Then one day, he sees a key around Isabel's neck that seems like it will fit. When the key is turned, the automaton draws a scene that Hugo recognizes from a movie that his father described to him. After finishing the drawing, the automaton signs the name George Millet, which Isabel recognizes as her godfather's signature. Hugo goes on a search for the connection between the automaton and Isabel's Papa George, leading from her godmother to the Film Academy Library. There he reads about George Millet's great contribution to cinema and informs a student that George Millet is not dead, as the books say, but that he works at a toy booth in the train station. Hugo and Isabel arrange for a professor from the academy to come meet with Papa George without telling him or his wife. When they arrive, Mama Jean will not let them see George, but allows them to play a film by George Millet that they brought with them, A Trip to the Moon. Um, while the when the movie ends, George has entered the room, and though he adamantly denied his past before, he now rem remembers and tells him the story of his days in film and the history of the automaton. Hugo tells him that he is the mechanical man and goes to the station to get it. At the station, Hugo overhears that his uncle has been found dead and that the station workers assume that the clocks were being kept up by a ghost. He goes up to retrieve the automaton, and while in his uncle's room, the station manager comes to investigate. After a desperate attempt to escape, Hugo passes out. When he wakes up, Isabel and Papa George are there to take him back home with them. The book ends with an epilogue six months later. The Malays, Isabel, Hugo, and Hugo head out to the Film Academy for a night in celebration of the works of George Millet. After, after George accepts his honors with a moving speech, they show films of his that they have spent the last six months digging up all over the country. When the festivities are winding down, Hugo is sitting at their table doing card tricks, and a crowd gathers. Papa George announces to the crowd that they have seen the first public performance of Professor Alco Frisbus, a name that he has given Hugo after a magician in his movies. Um, tell me what your first impression is in finishing the book, Jess. Well, if, if you haven't taken a look at the book yet, which I hope you have, um, it's somewhat daunting at first because it's this so thick Book. It's and so big. <laughs> how many pages is it? It is, um, well, uh, let's see. It's 530, but that's what's the, like, acknowledgments. So, so somewhere around there. this huge, heavy hardcover that Kendall handed to me, like, the day before we had to do this podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Yeah. But it's amazing at how it's such an easy read it's and of so course easy, yeah. like two thirds of it is, are pictures and the most beautifully illustrated oh it's so illustration. I mean and he Brian Selznick he did this himself like, I know all of these illustrations are hand drawn it's really cool I um I was also quite daunted by this book and then I started reading it and uh you know half hour went by and I was already over 100 pages in and I was like oh wait this is this is not taking long at all yeah it's mm -hmm. it's good I, I it's strange to me because it was in the um, 9 to 12 section when I bought it, and I was like, I mean, yeah, thick books are becoming more common, but I was like, what 9 to 12-year-old picks this up and is like, yes, 
thick books. This is what I want. But um, but it is a really easy read, which obviously probably needs to be yeah. for an age range like that. I kind of was thinking that it could be possibly younger if you were reading it to your kids. Like Definitely. I, I, I would I love a, to read this to a child. <laughs> I have a five-year-old niece, and I think she would love this book. Yeah. I mean, she, would nev- she wouldn't even be able to read it herself, obviously, but yeah. reading to a kid, that maybe a week's worth of reading at night for yeah. half an hour or so would be, it'd be really easy, I think. As far as like the plot line, too, I, I find myself feeling this way a lot of times, but um, halfway through, I'm like, I know something important is going on, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. Like, I can feel something important happening, but I'm so, like, lost as to what... Mm-hmm. And then you get to the end, and you're like, why was that so brilliant? <laughs> Gosh, Brian! It's like you have to try to track the clues that he gave you. Yeah. Like, one... And I know this is supposed to be a little later, but one of my favorite things was um, when they mentioned how George didn't like the sound of heels clicking on the floor. Oh my gosh. I went back and I went back and underlined when he said that. (laughs) (laughs) Because actually that leads really well into it because um, the part of the story where he tells them that they melted down his films to make Boo Hill, that's true. He worked, he he did, like his family did own like a shoe factory um, and, um, he did have to, like, melt his films down to, mm-hmm. in, to a factory to make shoe heels. And the fact that he hates that sound, and, like, when he says, what does he say? His dreams disappearing into the dust. That's what it sounds like. I'm like, oh, but these clues are so early, and it was just so brilliantly, <laughs> like, put together. That, um, yeah, that was actually kind of the next thing I was going to talk about was the historical accuracy in the shoes, so that's yeah. perfect. Just because immediately afterwards I was like, is, so George Millay, is this what happened? Like, mm-hmm. I knew about A Trip to the Moon because I'd taken multiple film classes, but but and, I did have to look it up. And the picture in the book of the moon with the rocket, like, I, I'd never seen the movie. I haven't taken film classes, but I recognized that image. Mm-hmm. So I popular. didn't even realize how iconic it was. <laughs> No. So. <laughs> Shall we move on to to themes? Yes. Okay. Um, I put this one first because it's my favorite. Um, the the theme of the clockwork and the world and people's purpose in the world was so good. It was so good. <laughs> Some of the quotes were just so brilliant. I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. So do you have such as one thing? Okay, and this might be taking it a little darker. I thought it was somewhat. Sad how um, after Hugo's uncle disappeared, he had to you know maintain the clocks and whatnot, mm-hmm. and he was doing it so well that no one even noticed that his uncle mm-hmm. was missing or dead until they found the body, because literally time hadn't stopped for him, and it was so. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you said that right now. I didn't even think about like the fact relating that to one of the quotes that I love was when Hugo is talking about how everybody has to be here for a reason because no machine has a part for no reason Mm -hmm. and now you saying that about his uncle makes me really sad because I mean to be fair his uncle wasn't a nice man but he it's almost like he wasn't needed it is because nothing stopped well so on the same I guess if we're looking at it that way he was technically training Hugo to take his place. That's true. So it was just a matter of replacing He got him that. in the right place at the right time, for sure. Exactly. 
So it's pretty much just a matter of preventing the machines from stopping by replacing an mm-hmm. old part with a new part. And I know it makes it God, so it's so sad. brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was definitely my favorite. And when he tells, because when they're talking about it, he, Isabel kind of says, well, your purpose is to fix things. Like, what is mine? And later when he, like, shows her the city and talks about how the world is a machine, he says that there's no part that's not needed, which means I have a purpose just as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And it was just so, I don't know, like, the idea of, like, this being in a children's book and that being so deep, but in a way that somebody younger could understand. Mm-hmm. But then as somebody older, too, it's still just as poignant. <laughs> like, that's what I love about young adult literature because you're just like any so age it doesn't matter yeah they have so many layers like if what you brought up to mind like something that both a kid and an adult gets on a different layer reminds me of the chronicles of Narnia. you know yes. like and I, I love that series so much but yeah. this one reminded me of that because it still had that aspect of childish fantasy and yet i could really appreciate it too i'm mm-hmm. 20 in my mid-20s so. yeah me too, in case anybody was wondering. We didn't say that in our bios, but whatever. <laughs> it's not important. Um, I guess we should move on to movies and dreams. That was the yeah. other theme that I picked out. Yeah. Um, I think those are probably the two. I wrote some other things down, but those were definitely the two main ones for me. Yeah. Those are movies and dreams. And, I mean, we already touched on that What with, um, with the allusion back to shoes, too, because you had mentioned dreams that disappearing in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that one had a more literal translation mm-hmm. because his films being melted down into shoe heels. Yeah, one of my favorite things, and it's it's actually like a remem- something that's being remembered by um, that professor, is that when he was young and he met George Malays on one of his movie sets, he George says to him, "If you ever wonder where your dreams come from when you go to sleep at night, just look around. This is where they are made." almost like died during that part I mean I love books but and I but like I really love movies too like they're so different like the mediums are so different but movies to me that kind of saying that they're like your dreams like visually is so Mm -hmm. true I think it's like if, if you look at it as sort of a before and after it's like the book is where the dreams come from and the movies is like them. What makes it visual. Exactly. So, it, like, I, it builds on your imagination in a sense. It mm-hmm. is someone, I think the movie is someone's imagination because you have the creator exactly. of it. And one of the things that I kept thinking during this is I had to keep reminding myself that it was 1931. Yeah. I mean, not reminding myself, but it kept, like, coming up again because I was, like, we're talking about things like A Trip to the Moon, which you said you haven't seen, but, I mean, it's... It's raw. I mean, you know, yeah. and and he invents this kind of substitution technique where, you know, which they kind of describe in the book, but to us today, that's like, well, I mean, I know how they did that, you know, kind yeah. of thing, but it's so well done Yeah. Um, for that time, like, to, to come up with something like that for them right. was, was like, people were like, how did you do that kind of thing? Like, because they've never even seen pictures that moved before, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, um, remembering that this was even more fantastical for the people yeah. in the book was even cooler, I think. Mm-hmm. I I also thought Brian Selznick did a good job of moving this into 
or of taking you know us as a modern reader and still conveying that sort of fantasy that sort of like magic mm-hmm. in the fact that I don't know about you but the automaton still kind of blew my mind oh, even though I knew yes. it was so possible mm-hmm. like the setting that it was put in just imagining this there's something about man. Yeah, yeah there's something about a little boy fixing it to a 12 year old boy yeah. That fixes every single little part. And when they describe how, when they actually turn the key, and they describe how the gears moved, and they literally described it joint by joint by joint until Mm -hmm. it all of a sudden got to his hand and he started writing, it makes it so, like, oh, God, so many intricate things are happening Mm -hmm. to, like, make this one thing come about and just so (laughs) mind-blowing. Yeah, it makes you kind of think about modern... I mean, we don't really think about it anymore because it's so mm-hmm. automatic for us, but there's so much yeah. goes into it. Well, let's move on to machines, I guess, maybe, yes. And, Are yeah. You with music and, or magic and, or la la la. <laughs> Movies and, and dreams, that's what I wanted. Dreams, yeah. Movies, magic, yeah, well, dreams, <laughs> it's all here, people. <laughs> well, and it does seem like a perfect leeway into talking about the magic and the yeah. movies and machines. I mean, we were just talking about that anyway. Yeah, the... I, I just kind of had it because it just kept coming up, and I liked how they drew... I mean, I, from what I read, it did seem to be, at least for George Millay, it was kind of the, the path that he took, but, mm-hmm. but they did kind of say most magicians, you know, start in that kind of mechanical field, that clock, mm-hmm. clockmakers or whatever, and then the movies came along, and there's literally a quote that says... They had found a new kind of magic, and so magicians automatically went into movies because it was a new type of magic, and so just kind of that like timeline of like how someone progressed in their profession, I guess. And I mean, it was, was really another form of performance too. Yeah. Um, well, and even I, I wrote the word illusion down under because you know for each of those things, even machines that like we were talking yeah. about the automaton, it, it's a type of illusion. Mm-hmm. So and obviously magic is and so are movies so mm-hmm. well and I I was looking up George Millay too and his title actually he was known as the cinemagician yes, because he combined yeah, cinema and movies with his former profession in magic mm-hmm. so it, it was like these new innovations in this new technology came from this fantasy world almost I, with what he was able to do and I never would have connected them I think before. Mm-hmm. No, no, none of these three things. I mean, maybe in a um, metaphorical sense saying movies are magic, but mm-hmm. I never would have com- connected actually magicians and saying, like, that a person of that profession had like a different point of view on this new technology yeah. that made them perfectly suited for it. Mm-hmm. And that they could see that it could do more than what other people, you know, there's, like, all the other stuff is really just mm-hmm. beforehand was very um, just every day. Like, look, we can make pictures that move. Let's show you everyday things until a magician comes along and says, you can do so much more with that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love it so yeah, much. <laughs> stop the stop photography. and it was, It's just amazing. I know. <laughs> It's really amazing when you do think of the time period. Like, you look, Mm -hmm. and I do feel like, you know, the old adage, the whole thing, um, a magician never reveals his tricks, Mm -hmm. you know, and I sort of feel like in this day and age, we know so many of the tricks that we've lost a lot of that. So it was nice seeing the wonder again in the book. Yes. 
I agree. Well, it's the same thing with, like we're talking about with movies, where you have to remember it's 1931, and that, mm-hmm. you know, we do lose a lot of that because we don't realize how much goes into it, and yeah. or we do know what go what how things are made, I should say, and so mm-hmm. we kind of don't have have that wonder. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why he made this into a kids' book. I was just gonna say, just because like kids, because they I just know. think everything is so amazing. Mm-hmm. But I wonder too. I did actually wonder, as far as the setting and the the time period with kids, like, would you? I mean, I don't know. Nine to twelve year olds are relatively intelligent by that point in your life. <laughs> so, I, but I wonder about like if you have to explain in 1931, this didn't exist kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's where it comes from in being a kid's book, is that kids, even if they are to the point where they're looking at, like, oh, I, I know how they did that, mm-hmm. at the same time, they are still not as far removed from their own wonder mm-hmm. that they can at least remember how it could have been. That's true. So, I think that that's where my excitement to comes from to read it to an even younger child. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, oh... <laughs> That wonder, like, mm-hmm. the, like... Well, anyways. I... And I know it's not made that. I mean, and I know we're back to format, too, but I, it's not made to be a flip book, but I flipped... I did. Like, yeah. I flipped through it so that I could see the motion of the picture. That's so what I did, too. It and really was, like, that's a motion a, picture. We kind of did skip over format a little bit, because I did want to mention just what you're saying, is most of the... the when there's picture after picture after picture, is an action sequence. Mm-hmm. It's where he's walking, he's running from somebody else. You know, and so it does kind of create this movement. And, like, with the illustrations, if you look at some of the movement illustrations, they have, in the background, the lines are all going one way, like, to kind of pull the movement along. And I was noticing that, too, because it was just so... (laughs) It was so... And I did the same thing. I flipped through them really quickly. At first, I was like, oh, do I need to be kind of stopping and looking? picture and stuff but then I started just doing that till I could see it like actually happening which I think well we'll talk about (laughs) what I was about to say when we actually talk about the movie yeah um (laughs) yeah so okay okay (laughs) um so I mean to end do you just want to talk about favorite things that you I feel like we basically our entire we just gushed about this (laughs) like I just loved this (laughs) We kind of gushed about it, but was there something specific that you um, thought of being, like, your favorite part about it? Um, I mean, besides, like, I, I was raving over the illustrations. Like, mm-hmm. just the attention to detail was amazing. Yeah. Um, but I, I was really amazed by the format and the way that the author moved it along. Like, mm-hmm. just, it seemed like in pages of pictures, it probably would have taken, like, paragraphs of words and stuff but mm-hmm. he turned minutes of reading into seconds of just looking at this image yeah. and it was and I know it, we're getting into the movie thing a little bit it was like turn it halfway between a book and a movie I agree. well they basically start the the introduction t- tells you to be to think like you're in a movie theater Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, you're waiting for yeah. it to start. And it's about movies, so there's kind of... I think in this format, this story, is where it just melded together. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure that it would work for any, just any book on the shelf. Yeah, no, I But this one was just so well done. It was. You have, like, all of the pictures, but even the pages were designed that way, because sometimes you do have a full page of words. But sometimes there was literally just a paragraph in the middle of the page. Mm-hmm. So you kind of 
helped you almost pace like how you were reading and stuff so I don't know it's just so interesting I don't think I've ever seen a book done like this can you maybe I don't know a lot of 9 to 12 year old books but <laughs> but I I was I was pretty blown away by that as well I mean no I can't think of any mm-hmm. kids books anything for right I mean like, like you have thing. you have picture books but that's completely different than what yeah. this is it's different I guess <laughs> and that's always good I think it generally it tends to be always good I think it's its own innovation so Mm -hmm. it's it's like perfectly mirroring what it's actually talking about in the book and Brian Selznick has written quite a few other things when I was like looking up and now I kind of want to go check them out (laughs) yeah yeah just to see if this was like something that he did for this book because it was about movies Mm -hmm. and because he wanted that kind of movie like quality to it yeah or it is something that he kind of you know plays around with in all of his <laughs> stories but I don't even I don't even know where to begin with my favorite things I think we gushed about format a little bit but too it's just a lot of gushing in this episode because it's such a good book <laughs> but um I we I said this before the clock the the clockwork stuff the clockwork yeah. versus the world and it being related to a person and their purpose, I think, is pro- was probably my ultimately what I kind of take away from the story and my happiness that that it was written in a in a kid's book. Yeah, start them early, man. <laughs> <laughs> Make them know they're I, important. <laughs> and along the same vein, like just how simple it was, you know, it's. It's not taking too many things and just throwing them at you. Mm-hmm. It takes it in a simple format. I mean, he didn't give you very many descriptions of Hugo or Isabel or Papa George because he had the images. True. But also, I seem to have, I don't know, I don't even know where it was, but I think I got a grasp of their characters regardless. Yeah. I don't even know how, where it came about. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it was from image or from... Some description, or maybe yeah. it was just the look. I don't even know where it came from. Yeah, I no, I definitely. I mean, there definitely wasn't like descriptions. I don't think it did. It didn't. Well, no, but you have the pictures too, and I think that can really give you a good idea about characters. I, <laughs> I mean, I you can definitely use a character's um, physical description to say something about them, but I don't think it's always necessary. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Those are my favorite things. <laughs> so before I start singing like Julian, uh, okay. we'll, just we'll just move on. Okay, to the um, movie, <laughs> which, like I said, um, is out currently. It came out in November 23rd in the U.S. and December 2nd in the U.K. It is directed by Martin Scorsese, and the cast includes Ben Kingsley, Isa Butterfield, mm-hmm. hopefully I said that right, Chloe Grace Moretz, Sasha Baron Cohen and Jude Law as Hugo's father. <laughs> you just had to. I had to add it. I had to add it because when I saw that Jude Law was in it, I was like, "What? <laughs> Jude Law's in it? Who is Jude Law playing?" <laughs> I'm really not that obsessed with Jude Law, listeners. Please don't think that about me. <laughs> He's just so pretty. Anyways, what do you think will translate well to film? It's like we've said. It's already somewhat in the middle or yeah. obviously it's a little more towards the book but obviously but it it's already got the image it's already got the cinematic definitely may i say cinematic without you giving oh. me a groaner i'm sorry uh, <laughs> sorry listeners i apologize cinematic yes 
But that's gonna be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> so and yet at the same time, I also think that the actors and the director have their work cut out for them because they already because Brian Selznick kind of met them halfway. Yeah. You know, like you when you're given so much, you have to take even more. I agree. You have to take it I, even further. I'm always a little bit scared. Yeah. I'm always a little bit scared when there's a movie. But I really do look forward to seeing this visually. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're right. Like, the way that it's written and the way that the story unfolds and everything is definitely suited to being a movie mm-hmm. if it's done right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in looking at the trailer, the action and the... I, I want to say, like, the color. Because you mm-hmm. look at the cover of this book and it's colorful and it's mm-hmm. vibrant. And the cult, like, it's so... It pops in the trailer. Yeah. So I'm... I definitely... Yeah. Like... I could... You could definitely feel in the trailer, watching the trailer, that there was a similar mood. Yeah. To how it seemed to be filmed, which I think is, I mean, ultimately gonna be, you know, what it needed. Yeah. um, To kind of keep the same mood as it. And I think... I just, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, is there anything that you're really looking forward to seeing? Well, I wanted to ask you about the cast. Like, what do you think about the casting and who's been cast for them? I don't, the, like, the kids I don't know very well. Asa Butterfield is Mordred from Merlin. Oh! (laughs) I think I knew that, but now I'm more excited. Um, he's... (laughs) <laughs> he is a very good actor. I've seen him. He was in The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, too, which... Okay. Yes. No, but yeah, I know But this is a completely different part than I've seen him before. Right. Because he's always... <clears throat> yeah. Drama-filled. Mm-hmm. So well, I, this I'm, is drama, too, but I think that... From the from the trailer, too, I think you get that it's going to be a little bit more comedic. Mm-hmm. Specifically, Sasha Baron Cohen as yeah. the station inspector, or the station manager. Yes. Or whatever, which I was actually really excited about mm-hmm. um, when I saw that because I'm thinking of um, I'm actually thinking of Sweeney Todd when he is the other the other barber. Oh, that's yeah. kind of how I see him as the station manager, being that like kind of quirky comedic character that like it's and it and it being okay that that might not be how, who he was in the book, but that yeah. he uh, but I think he'll do really well. People keep. People often go, oh, Borat, but I think he does, in his little, like, side roles, I think he does a really good job of playing comedy, but also, and being memorable, but not necessarily taking over, I guess. I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm I'm looking forward to that one, too. Um, Yeah, so now I'm excited about Hugo being Mordred. I think I forgot to put that on my list of things I'm obsessed with at the beginning. Merlin. Merlin. We might both be obsessed with whatever. It's cool. Um, ben Kingsley as um as George Millay. Yes. He's always good. I oh mean. gosh, yeah. So faith. <laughs> Just saying, I've got faith there. And yeah. also I, I didn't actually put this on there, but Christopher Lee, do you know who Christopher Lee is? Yes. He's um the, the bookshop, bookshop owner. owner yes. Which isn't a big part, but like I think he's always roles. Yeah. Because who wouldn't want to be part of this project? <laughs> um It inspires hope and solve, I guess. It does. Um yeah, so I think I I, I don't know. I was excited about Ben thinking for that because mm-hmm. He's definitely versatile as well, but he, yeah. he has that kind of, um, that, like, hidden, 
not, I don't want to say hidden wisdom, that makes it sound bad, but, <laughs> but like, he has that kind of wisdom behind his eyes, but you don't really know, mm-hmm. he, he can also be mysterious, kind of, like, where you're not, yep. like, sure what's going on there, which is good for George Millet, because, I mean, for half the book, at least, you don't know who he is. You're just like, this must be someone important. I don't know why. Which is how I usually feel. <laughs> <laughs> so, did we talk about concerns? Yeah. Not kind of. I mean, a, a little bit. I mean, there's always a concern, I think, with... Um, with yeah, adaptation. Anything with adaptation. I guess my biggest concern is, I've heard that Brian Selznick actually didn't want... Like, he advocated for a completely different or um he refused to let the movie cover have any association with the, the invention of Hugo Cabret that in releasing the movie companion is that why it's called something different you think no I don't think it oh, is. okay I don't think that was it I think the movie by I the way if we didn't say it's called Hugo not the invention yeah. of Hugo Cabret so it is different yeah but but I I think that's just like the book to movie well I think he's as far as I know he is in support of the movie okay but he you know how you see so many books that have, like, the movie cover, and I know you hate I hate you it. don't like that. That is a mixing of genres that I'm not okay with, so I'm in support of him if he is <laughs> not in support of that. <laughs> yeah, so in fact, um, at least Scholastic in the UK had to release the movie companion with, like, an entirely separate movie companion with the movie. You know, mm-hmm. He the wrote the movie companion, didn't he? He did. Did did he write he it? He did. Or? I I did. I know that he was looking really up for a project. So yeah, he must be kind of in support. I don't I don't know what that says about it. Like maybe it makes me a little apprehensive about it. But yeah, I mean my I I think we kind of already covered it. But but my main concern that I the reason I actually wrote concerns on our mm-hmm. list of things to talk about was because this was so already like a movie. Mm-hmm that I think that I'm already almost satisfied, in a sense. Like, sometimes you... I feel like you want to I'm always... See yeah, you feel like you want to see, oh, I want to see this happen or whatever, but I feel like I've already seen it. Yeah. And so... did the visualizing I, for us. Yeah. And so I feel very satisfied with just this as a... As, on its own, and, um, and so it'll be interesting, I guess, to see the movie and see how I feel afterwards, because I'm not, like... I, I do want to see it only because it exists, but I think if it didn't exist, I'd be fine. Like being like, oh, you know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this, just because, like I said, that you've already gotten the visuals and everything, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think that I think we've covered everything. I don't think we've got yeah anything else. Um, I did want to talk a little bit, um, separate from Hugo, um, about some other book to movies that are coming up. I'm just gonna give like little summaries of them. Okay. I hope I say this right. Excuse me for slaughtering names. Um, Hergé's The Adventures of Tintin is coming out, well, no, it's been out in the UK since October, but it's coming out in the US December 21st, and it's based on uh, the series of Tintin comics, but this movie is specifically going to be on three stories, The Crab with the Golden Claws, The Secret of the Unicorn, and Red Rockham's Treasure. And um, it's directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by Peter Jackson, so big names. And the, the cast is going to be, is already, I should say, Jamie Bell, Andy Serkis, Simon Pegg, and Daniel Craig. So that's kind of exciting. I, may, I haven't read the mm-hmm. comics at all. I kind of feel like I should. <laughs> it, se- it, it seems to be really popular over here, especially. Yeah, um, definitely. I feel like I've heard a lot about it. Just add it so, to the list. Yeah, the very large list. 
Um, and then also Stieg Larsson's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo um, is coming out December 21st in the U.S. and December 26th in the U.K. It's already been made into a Swedish film that came out a little while ago, um, and this is going to be the American remake. It's directed by David Fincher, and the cast includes Daniel Craig, Mara Rooney, Christopher Plummer, Stellan Skarsgård, and Robin Wright. And I'm possibly considering that that might be the next project that I undertake. <laughs> or we undertake, or whoever wants to join me in undertaking it. You know I have the book. <laughs> so um, I think that might be our next um, endeavor. And then another one I wanted to mention was Benjamin Mee's memoir, We Bought a Zoo, is being turned into a movie that comes out December 23rd in the U.S. and March 16th in the U.K., so quite a while That's a big afterwards. gap. I think it's probably a lesser, like, yeah. low budget, more low budget maybe. I don't know. Um, it's directed by Cameron Crowe, and the cast is Matt Damon, Tom Sadenchurch, Colin Ford, and Scarlett Johansson. Those um, are some big names. Though. Yeah, those are. Um, I think it's more of a, like, feel-good family movie. It's a, it's about, like, a, a family that buys a zoo of exotic animals. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I was interested enough to, to consider, um, it for a while, but there's so many good things coming out that yeah, um, it's hard. So yeah, uh, that I think concludes this episode of Adaptation. Um, thank you for joining us for our first episode, and you'll hear us next time when we talk about the movie Hugo that we're going to see this week. So that'll be exciting. Please, if you um, have any comments about it, please comment below. Great. Right. Thanks, and bye! Bye!